0: morning Calvary. If we haven't met yet, my name is Thomas and I get to be on staff here at the church. It's my joy to be able to continue to teach in our Advent series. Advent is the season that we find ourselves in as the church. Advent simply means arrival. It's the season which we as Christians pause and reflect and center and ready our hearts in anticipation of the arrival of Christ and what Christ brings with him in his coming and we've been looking at the the themes of Advent, the things that Christ brings with Him as gifts to the world. We've looked at hope the first week, and then we looked at God's love through His Son, Jesus Christ. We looked at the joy that God brings through His Son, Jesus. And today we wanna look at the theme of peace, that God brings a gift of peace through the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're like me, It's a bit funny to think about the gift of peace being given at Christmas time because Christmas seems to be the least peaceful season of the year. I mean there are expectations, there are work parties, school parties, things your kids are wrapping up, there are things to go to in your neighborhood, at the office, with family, here at the church, there's expectations of meals, of gifts. Did they get me something? I should get them something. They got me something better. I'll get them another thing. And there's all these things that build into the restlessness or even the anxiety of the season. You know, we love the idea of Christmas. We have this hope and expectation that perhaps it will be the most wonderful time of the year. That it really will be this peaceful, hallmark moment. And so we try to stretch the Christmas season all the way back to July. You know, we start thinking about it in July, start filling the stores with stuff in July, because we, we think that Christmas is going to give us this great peace, this great joy, this love and hope. And then we start operating in the season, and it feels like anything but that. And not only does it raise expectations, which seems to increase anxieties, stress, fracturing, but then it brings an acute awareness of things that perhaps we haven't thought much of this fall or haven't been in the forefront of our mind like loneliness that we feel alone and, and then everybody seems to have a family and a party to go to but we don't have a party to go to and no one has invited us over and it seems like we are alone and it doesn't feel very peaceful and then there's like these griefs and sorrows that perhaps relationships are fractured in ways that you wish they weren't and you're not at peace with your mom and your dad and your siblings and your aunts and your uncles you're not at peace at work. And all of a sudden, you're, you're brought to the forefront of your mind that things just seem to be filled with grief and unease and sorrow. And there are people that we have loved and lost this year that aren't celebrating the season with us. And there seems to be an emptiness and restlessness there. And so the Christmas season is really just this bag of emotion for us. Very few of us in this room experience this hallmark moment. And so it's funny that we think of the gift of Jesus Christ bringing hope, love, joy, and peace to us. Because if we're honest, it sure doesn't feel like it. And so as we open up the scriptures, I I want you to see God's peace. I want to see three things today. What is the peace of God? How does he give it? And how do we get it? Because I want you to have the peace of God ruling your life come Christmas morning. I want the peace of God, no matter what you have this morning you've brought in, whatever you're thinking about, whatever's stressing you out, I want the peace of God that you hear about today, learn about today to reign in your family and in your hearts and in your minds come Christmas morning. And so, what is God's peace? How does he give it? And how do we get it? That's what we're going to look at. Before we do, let's, let's pray. Let's take a moment just to settle our hearts and pray that God would be our teacher and show us what his peace is, how he gives it, and how we get it. Lord, that might have been the longest breath that people in this room have taken in the last few weeks. And we want rest in you in the midst of the season for those in the room with griefs and sorrows with fracturing in relationships Lord would you be their teacher today and show them where the peace of God can be found for those with restless fears of the future with jobs question marks of provision would you be their teacher today Lord and and show them where the peace of God is found For those with unrealistic expectations and with so many things to do in the next three days, would you be their teacher and show them where the peace of God can be found? And let the peace of God rule in our lives that we truly would say, "God, Jesus brings me peace. And so God, we commit ourselves and our time to you to be our teacher to show us, open our eyes and our ears, what you would have in the scriptures for us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Did it feel good just to sit for a second? Like, man, all the kids are checked in in child care just for a minute. It's ah, okay. It's going to be okay. There is something about the restlessness of this season. And it doesn't fit well. And so we try to create peace in our life. And so in the midst of those relationships and the situations, finances and future and health and fear, we try to bring peace into our external circumstances, hoping that it will flow into the internal realities of our heart. And so we do certain things in this season to try to bring peace into ourselves. And so I made a list of, here's five things that I often see people doing to try to bring peace. Do they isolate, vacate, medicate, educate? And legislate peace. The first one is isolate. People say, okay, listen, Christmas parties, this holiday season, it's not for me. I can't even be around those people. I don't even want to go over to their house. I know they've invited me, but I can't be around those family members. And so I'm just going to isolate myself. In fact, I probably won't even go to church. I'm not going to step out into any relationship. I'm going to be by myself because I can control then at least the peace in my own life. I'm not going to allow people to come and bother me. Bring up conversations that bother me or be around people that remind me of things that are not right in my life. I someone to retreat and isolate. Others will vacate, like literally go on vacation. They will leave. And it was, it's interesting, I was talking to uh, a gentleman this week who was telling me about their family and how he's talking to his parents Are, are, are we going to come over to your house or are you going to come to our house? So we, we get our sisters and siblings together. And the parents just said, No. No, we're, we're going on vacation. And the parents are, are so tired of the restlessness and fracturing in the family. They just said, we're out. Like, we got, we got two tickets. We're gonna go sit on a beach somewhere, and we're gonna vacate, and hopefully bring peace in a season that seems restless. Now, some of us are going, okay, we can't leave. I really wish we could. I really wish we could. That's a great idea. I wish I would've thought of that earlier, but we can't. I have appointments coming this week, and so what we're gonna do is we're gonna medicate. We're actually gonna take... Substances into our body that will give us the illusion of it's all good, man. It feels normal. It feels great, and we try to medicate ourselves, whether with substances or beverage, or we even try to medicate ourselves with like Netflix and the Hallmark movies, just one after another, next Hallmark movie, next Hallmark movie, and we try to medicate this sense of restlessness that we sense to try to bring peace. Now, maybe this isn't unique to this time of year, but we look at the world and say the world is restless. I mean, you can't help but turn on the news and just see the animosity that people have. And you know what the problem is? It's ignorance. It's ignorant people. And so what we need to do, we need to educate them. We need to show them that they are not peaceful people. And we can educate them, and we can educate out of them this sense of conflict, of confrontation. And we can show people a better way. The problem is, some of the smartest people I know are the biggest jerks. That caused the most conflict. And so it's not simply the education to bring peace. Lastly, what we'll try to do is we'll try to say, well, we'll just legislate it. You know what we'll do? We can make people. We'll write laws that will tell people they can't be in conflict. They can't aggravate each other. There are all these safe spaces for everybody and we will legislate peace for them. It doesn't work, does it? Jesus tells us, I give you my peace. My peace I give to you, and my peace I leave with you. But I do not give as the world gives. This is kind of an insight of how the world tries to give peace, especially this last one we talk about governance of legislation. The world tries to give peace through control, through trying to legislate things. Jesus says, I give you my peace. My peace I'm going to leave with you, that it would be on you, but it's not as the world, as this world is going to try to offer you peace. And so what's amazing is that Jesus actually is born in a historical time period in which some would say the peace of the world existed. It's called the Pax Romana. Pax is the Roman goddess of peace. Pax Romana was the peace of Rome that Rome has said to have brought to the known world. And the Roman emperor that brought it in was Caesar Augustus. This is the time period in which Jesus Christ is born. Caesar Augustus was emperor of Rome for 40 years. From 27 BC to 13 AD, Caesar Augustus ruled. And he had many conquests in which he defeated his enemies and brought the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, to all these different regions. In 13 BC, Caesar Augustus returned from his latest conquest, a long conquest, all the way over to Spain and Western Europe. And he returned a victor having defeated all of his enemies and brought the Roman peace. He returns and they actually build an altar to the peace of Rome. This is is a picture, this is a rendition, a remodel they have rebuilt of this altar called the Altar of Augustus Peace. And this was put in Rome that all would see and know that Rome brings peace. But Rome brought peace through tyranny and terror. And they legislated it by putting soldiers and governors in all of these different regions to make sure that peace would remain and it wouldn't break out in conflict. And so the Pax Romana was celebrated in the Rhone world for Romans. For Romans. It was tied up in a national identity, in a people group, but it wasn't offered to the world. It was simply through tyranny and terror that it was kept. And those who were honest about the estate of things, We're honest that this Pax Romana wasn't as good as maybe people thought it was. That maybe it was good for Roman citizens, but it wasn't good for other ethnicities, other peoples. In fact, it was rather oppressive. Tacitus, who was a Roman historian and senator just after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, so really a short time period of Jesus Christ, is looking at the Pax Romana, and he says this. The Romans call it empire. It is in fact murder, murder, and rampant, and profit. They make a desolation and they call it peace." That was his assessment of the Pax Romana for the known world. They say it's peace, but man, it's just, it's just ripe with conflict and brutality. It's not peace for everybody. There was another philosopher of the day, a Greek philosopher, who also served in the Roman governance, and he spoke against the the limits of the Pax Romana. That yeah, it could bring peace through war, but it couldn't bring peace to the very thing that people wanted it to. So here's Epictetus, Epictetus, who says, while the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart, for which man yearns more than ever for outward peace. He's like, okay, let's say he, he brings some peace and stability to the, the land and the sea. It's not in conflict. But you know what he cannot touch? is what we most long for. The peace of heart. And he has no place there. He can't do anything about it. The restlessness of envy and anger, the brokenness in relationship, the fracturing that people have with one another and with the creation itself. He has no rule or authority to bring peace into those areas. And those are the areas that we long most experience peace. And so when Jesus says, I give peace, I give peace, he's speaking in the context of, well, you've heard Rome gives peace, Pax Romana, and I give peace. But not as the world. His peace is distinctly different. So what is the peace of God? Well, if you look up the word peace in the Old Testament dictionary, like an IVP dictionary, it's the word shalom. And shalom is more than simply the absence of conflict. If you look it up in the dictionary, it talks about the presence of harmony, the the presence of wholeness, the presence of bringing things that are fractured back together. It talks about having stones that are broken and then now built back up. Dr. Tim Mackey, who's a great New Testament scholar, I, I really love a lot of the things that he does, speaks about this piece, this shalom. This is what Tim says. Not just the absence of conflict, but taking what is broken and bringing it back to wholeness and completeness. That God's peace isn't simply the absence of conflict, as though we've created peace by our military might, but that there's actually the presence of restoration bringing back into harmony what was broken in the first place. That's the greatness of God's peace. And so here's kind of a working definition for you to have in your mind, that God's peace is the absence of conflict and the presence of wholeness. When we see God's peace fully realized, we will see the absence of conflict And then we will see the presence of being restored and whole and mended. That is the difference between what Pax Romana gave to the people at the time of Jesus and what Jesus Christ has promised to give to his people. Now, this desire for peace was rampant amongst Israel, that they longed for God to fulfill what has been prophesied for so many years, that he would bring peace to Israel and to the nations, to the world. And so the prophets had spoken of a day that would bring a better peace, a different peace than the Pax Romana, specifically to Israel and then to the world. And so you look at the the scriptures and we see that God's peace, that is the absence of conflict and the presence of wholeness is what we see here in Micah. The prophet Micah, chapter four, verse three says, he shall judge, this is God, God bringing peace, this is what he's promised his people. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. On the altar to Caesar Augustus of the peace that he brought, on the eastern side there was a female warrior depicted sitting on a pile of weapons. And it was a picture of probably Rome herself having brought peace by robbing people, confiscating from people all their weapons. And because Rome sat on the weapons of war from their enemies, there was peace. That's so different than what's spoken here to Israel. That God's peace is so different. Not only is it different that there's harmony, but he brings wholeness. So take take a look at this verse. It's up here on the screen. That he doesn't confiscate their swords and says, okay, now you can't wage war against me. No, the peace that he brings actually takes the weapons of war and then repurposes them to instruments of agriculture. That's God's peace. That they would take weapons of death and that they would repurpose it. not be taken out of their hands and confiscated, but they would be repurposed. There'd be no reason for them and they'd be changed into tools that cultivate life. That's the peace of God that he removes the conflict and then brings the harmony. So he removes the tools of death and brings the tools that cultivate life in you. That's the peace that Israel is longing for. And they're longing for it in a promised Messiah, that God would one day bring about this new kingdom, this age to restore Israel and the nations through a promised Messiah, a promised Christ that would come and do this. So the prophets speak about the birth of a Messiah, A familiar passage is Isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 and 7 that speak of this coming Messiah. For unto us, or for to us a child is born, will be born. To us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The longing to see the peace of God, the wholeness of And the absence of conflict is going to come through a messiah. And then he's going to bring his government. I mean, his governance. Instead of the government of Rome, he's going to bring the government of the messiah. And one of the attributes that characterizes this governance is that it's ruled by a prince of peace. The ruler is called peace. He will bring peace to Israel and peace to the nations. And then chapter 9, verse 7 says... Of the increase of his government, it's going to increase. It's going to start small, and then it's going to increase. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. It'll never end. Like the Roman Empire, ended. No one's thinking about it anymore. No one's afraid of it. No one's looking to it for its peace. And here we come, looking to Jesus Christ. The world is looking towards Jesus Christ. There will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it, and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God will do this. God will bring his peace by sending his Messiah into the world to bring the absence of conflict and the presence of wholeness into the lives of people. And so that is why when the birth announcement of Jesus goes out, people are excited. Because God is fulfilling what he has promised. And one of those fulfillments is the presence of God's different, unique, holistic peace. So there are shepherds in the evening of Christ's birth who angelic hosts come and tell the shepherds, great news, glory to God, he has fulfilled his promises in sending the beginning of a kingdom that's unending, marked by peace. So if you go to Luke, Luke chapter 2 is a familiar Christmas text in which those shepherds are out in the fields. We'll start in verse 11. It says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ, Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The peace of God we've seen is different than as the world gives peace. How does does God give his peace? He gives it through his son, Jesus Christ. That's how he gives it. It is the Lord's zeal by sending his own son, Emmanuel, God with us, that that is how he's going to give the world peace. And so what we see wrapped in swaddling cloth, lying in the manger, is the Prince of Peace. The ruler of a kingdom. A kingdom we're longing for. A kingdom that is beginning. A kingdom that he himself walks around and says, The kingdom of God is at hand. Turn in here. Repent and believe. I am beginning something that will be unending. That will bring the absence of conflict and the presence of wholeness from the interior of your life to the whole world. Now, This is why people are getting excited that Christ is here. And that Christ fulfills everything that was prophesied about him. That in his life, death, and resurrection, he accomplishes for us salvation. In other words, for peace. He accomplishes the peace. And the peace that God brings, the peace that we need, first and foremost, is not peace with each other. I mean, we long for that. I long for that. But first and foremost, the peace we need is not the peace with each other or even the peace within ourselves or the peace with creation. What we need first and foremost, the peace of God with whom he is well pleased is the peace that God has with us. That is the peace that we have with God. That's what we need first and foremost. And that is what Christ has come to purchase on the cross. And so it's through his death and resurrection he gives us salvation, this peace, this harmony with God. So Paul, author of the New Testament, an apostle, writes many epistles, many letters to the church. One he writes to the church in Ephesus. This is Ephesians chapter 2, speaking about the peace of God that he has given through his son, Jesus Christ. That if you want access to the wholeness of peace that God gives, look to Christ. Turning in verse 13, chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You're far off. He's talking about the Gentiles. You didn't think God was for you. You have been far off. You've been brought near through the death of Jesus Christ. That God's way of bringing peace is so different than how the world brings it. Rome, Pax Romana, brought the, the peace of Rome by the death of their enemies. And Jesus brings the peace of God by dying for his enemies. You see that? What a different peace that Jesus Christ lays down in his life. And he's saying, you who are far off, Christ has died for you. You are enemies of God. He's died for you. And now you've been brought near. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. I mean, the the wall that was hostile between us and God. We were hostile between God. And Jesus Christ has torn down the wall of hostility. So he's removing the conflict. That's what he's doing. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in the body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. That's talking about peace between Jew and Gentile with one another. That he's bringing all the world. It's not wrapped up in one national identity. It's going to be in Christ for all people. So he's bringing oneness between each other, Jew and Gentile, into the family of God. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That the world has access to the Father through Jesus Christ that's the peace of God. It is through Christ. If you're gonna know peace in any area of your life, you have to know the peace of God. You have to know the peace of God. There's a Lebanese New Testament scholar who talks about this very issue. Najee Abi Hashem says this, ultimately, God is the author and giver of peace. Therefore, the authentic peace cannot be experienced or attained in isolation from God. You long for peace in your family. Say you long for peace even within, within yourself, Is like there's restlessness in yourself. You long for peace in life. You can taste no real, authentic, I'm talking about authentic, deep peace without first knowing the peace that Jesus Christ brings. To reconcile you back to God. And the peace of Christ is is perfect. It removes the hostility, that's the conflict. And then what does it give? The harmony of being found in the family of God. So it's both removing the conflict, the hostility, and bringing the harmony, the wholeness of people back to God in one family in the name of Jesus Christ. And we cannot know that in any sphere of our life if we don't first and foremost know that in being reconciled back to God. We have to experience this first. I listened to a preacher a few years ago who was giving a wedding toast at the uh, reception after the ceremony. And he was speaking to the couple, this new, newly married couple, about marriage. And his advice was this. Build into the strength of your marriage. For if you have a strong marriage, you walk in all the other areas of your life in strength. It might not be strong at work, You might not be getting the promotion. Things might be hard. Things in your extended family might be difficult. You might have other areas of your life that don't seem buttoned up. But if you are strong in your marriage, you'll walk in these other areas in strength. But if your marriage is not strong, despite the accomplishments and the accolades at work, despite the great things that are happening to you, the great vacations, you will walk in all of those areas in weakness, So build strength into your marriage. I would say similarly, if you do not know the peace of Christ, what he has done in reconciling us to God, we cannot walk in the peace in any other area of our life. We can't experience it. True, authentic, real, absence of conflict, presence of wholeness, peace, unless you have first been reconciled back to the peacemaker, the giver of peace, God himself. But if you have experienced the peace of God, and you have the peace of God in your life, you can actually walk in other areas of life that aren't as buttoned up, that seem a bit less restless. And you know what? You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. This is the peace that Jesus promised he would bring and give, unlike the world gives its peace. So Paul, who wrote this to the Ephesians, wrote another letter to the Philippians or sitting at a church in Philippi, while he's sitting in jail. I would say that that's probably not the most peaceful place to be. It's not as though he's hanging on the beach in the Mediterranean. But he sends this message to them about the peace of God that has guarded his own life. So a couple pages over, we find the book of Philippians. Philippians 4, verse 6. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That if you would just say, "I don't know what your issue is today, that's causing you restlessness, anxiety, worry, that's welling up grief in you." Paul says, "Take all that. take all of it, and bring it in prayer, with Thanksgiving. Supplications, Make those requests known to God. God, you, you, God, I got three days to get the house ready. I got two days before Uncle Eddie's showing up. I need you. It says the peace of God, that completeness and wholeness will guard your minds and your hearts in Christ Jesus. So if that's the peace of God and he gives it through his son, how do we get it? We get it in, in being in Christ. See this? It'll guard your hearts and your minds in in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're guarded by God's peace. If you're not in Christ, you will not be guarded by God's peace. And the areas of your life that you don't bring into Christ that won't be guarded. It's not a promise to be guarded by God's peace. And so where do we get it? We get it by being in Christ. Being found in Him. It's so interesting that, as Ben Witherington points out, another New Testament scholar, that Paul uses the word guard here. It's actually a military term for a soldier. But instead of a a guard who guards over this peace with terror and tyranny, this guard is the one that actually brings peace through transformation. It's not tyranny and terror that guards your mind and guards this peace, it's transformation. It's what God's doing in your life through the work of the Holy Spirit. Remember Remember the fruits of the Spirit? The fruit, singular, of the Spirit has many different pieces of its DNA. Love, joy, peace—it's peace. It's God's gift. It's peace when you're conformed and transformed into the image of God. You will experience the peace of God. It says this peace of God surpasses all understanding. I mean, it's more valuable than you can co- possibly comprehend. It's priceless. You'd do anything to get it, and then it shows up, and you can't even explain it. It's like your world seems to be coming undone, and you're okay. Everything seems to be falling apart around you, and... You're okay. How is it that your mind that seems to be racing, it should be racing, it seems to be at peace and your heart where the anxiety should be welling up seems to be at peace. And you can just simply say, it's because I'm in Christ. The world offers so many options for manufactured peace, not real peace. At its best, it can resolve conflict through oppression. But God's peace that he gives through his son, Jesus Christ, is accessed by faith. Remember it says, God's peace for those with whom he is pleased it is impossible to please God apart from faith. The scriptures tell us, without faith, it is not possible to please God. So to get his peace, to be pleased with God is to be having faith in Jesus Christ. Now in seasons like we are in, we get a bit restless and we need the community of believers, brothers and sisters, friends, to remind us, to drive us back into Christ to find our peace. When we have health issues and scares, we need friends to remind us of where our peace comes from and drive us back to Christ. I'll tell you, being on staff at a church doesn't make you immune to the season around us. There are several things that have happened in my life in this last week even that have been a potential to cause restlessness and worry and anxiety. In the last few days, Chris and I have, have gotten news that her Beloved grandmother has passed away and has spent the week trying to make arrangements in order to get out there the day after Christmas, working with different personalities with family members. This week, there's enough church issues with families that are experiencing the pressures on their marriage to, to meet with certain couples, and then to learn news of, of, of a young mother in our Mops community who lost her husband, She's a mother with a 20-month-old and expected in March. And I'll tell you, if you're a part of the Marv's community, the way you have loved her is so good. It is so kind. Continue to come around her. But we did a funeral in this room just a couple days ago on Friday. And to walk with this family and experience the grief of this family can have cause for a bit of restlessness and anxiety in this season. I'm so thankful for my wife. I mean, just rock star who reminds me where my peace is found. This is a text that I got from my wife this week in all the different activities that were happening with us. I know this season is filled with a lot of work and stress, but the fact that we will certainly celebrate the Savior's birth makes me so thankful that our little family has Him at the center. Love you. I mean, that's it. When she sees the world seeming to come undone around us and all the ways that we're pulled this season and stepping into ministry in this season she reminds me Thomas we have Christ at the center and though the world seems to be coming undone we will not be restless we will have perfect peace because Christ came and that's what we're celebrating in a few days my one of my mentors, Walt Baker, got to meet with him this last week. Walt has a life verse that has steadied him. This is Isaiah 26.3. God, you keep them in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord always. The Lord is an everlasting rock of peace. That's why those who are in Christ can experience peace in the midst of circumstances that seem rather restless. That the peace of Christ will guard your minds and your hearts. But the peace of God will guard your minds and your hearts in, in, in Christ Jesus. She then texted me, bring me a vanilla latte (laughs) on your way home, please. God, baby. Any any chance to go to Starbucks and get a vanilla latte, I'm game for. But as those who have received the peace of God on their life, we know what God's peace is. We know how he gives it through his son. We know how we get it being found in Christ. Now we want to be a community that gives it. We want to show the world what this peace looks like because they've never tasted anything like it. They've never tasted anything like it. And so we want to be peace Makers, especially around this season, we want to be people—a community of peacemakers. Remember what Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew chapter five. He says, "This is an identity marker of children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons, daughters, children of God. If you belong to Christ, you're a child of God." And he has removed the hostility between you and God and others, and he has brought harmony to the family. Praise Jesus. And then he says, okay, now you're children. And one of the things that marks this family, this everlasting kingdom, is that there's a prince of peace, and you belong to this kingdom of peace. And now go and be a peacemaker. And so as you step into dinner parties with your neighbors, with work, around family, you say, okay, wait, I'm a peacemaker here. I know that there's tension." I know there are parts of these relationships that are broken and fractured. And it's not only that I'm not gonna bring up certain conversations that I know cause conflict, but I bring a greater peace than that. Not only will I try to resolve conflict and not bring up and stir up conflict in my home, but you know what I'm gonna also do? I'm gonna look for opportunities to mend, to repair, to bring back into wholeness. And so when I'm with crazy Uncle Eddie, Wild Aunt Wanda, whoever. I'm not going to post that on Facebook. I'm not going to post that on Instagram. I know that only stirs up conflict. Not only am I not going to do that, I'm going to go to them. I'm going to ask. I'm going to see how I can restore, be an agent of peace in my family, in my neighborhood, at work. That's what we are as a community of believers, children of God, peacemakers. And then God gets the glory. Glory to God in the highest, that he has sent peace, and that we give peace all in the name of Jesus, that the world would be reconciled to him, and they too would know the beauty of God's peace. So two questions for you to answer for yourself. Where in your life, what aspects of your life, does not sit under the rule and reign of Christ's peace? That your future, it's kind of like, I got Jesus here, but my future, it's over there. Finances, sexuality fear of, of health? What, what lives outside the good and right peaceful reign of Christ that you need to bring in to Christ with prayers of supplication and thanksgiving? Present them to God. And then who in your life would you have the opportunity even just this week to engage them as a peacemaker, that they would taste the peace of God? Answer those two questions for yourself. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a God that reconciles us back to yourself. And that, the grace of God brings peace. Lord, I pray for every man and woman in this room during this Christmas season. Would those who are filled with restlessness find their rest in you. For those who are filled with grief, Lord, would you comfort them? Father, for those who have these expectations and anxiety and worry, of how to get it all done the next couple days. I pray that they would pause and stop and rest in you. And then, Father, would you give the peace of God to every person in this room? A peace of God that would guard their minds and their hearts in Christ Jesus. May we spur one another on and drive each other back into the kingdom of your beloved Son, who is the Prince of Peace. It's in your name we pray. Amen.